morning and welcome to this week of Sippin' Tea. My name is Andy. My name is Mita. And this week we're going to talk about a very important, I would I think she's important. I think she's important to Colorado history. Definitely important to Colorado history and I didn't realize how cool she was. Me neither. <laughs> I learned so much about this woman in the past few days that yeah. like crazy crazy like i never knew and what she's known for mm -hmm. not important no <laughs> actually not not it's, important at all surprisingly enough to me it's like the least interesting thing about her it really is <laughs> but then it was big it was a big tragedy so i yeah. guess people were like ah she did that and and everything else was forgotten yes so who are we talking about we gonna talk about margaret tobin yeah, we are. Margaret Tobin, the woman you've never heard of <laughs> oh, <laughs> because of marriage. I'm sorry. Should, should we um, should we say her real name? We can say her marriage name. Her marriage name. Yeah. Margaret Brown, or she is more famously known as the unsinkable Molly Brown. Which she did not ever go by Molly, but we let it go. We did let it go. So for the sake <laughs> of this episode, we are going to reference her as Molly Brown yeah. because that is... The name that we and I'm sure everybody knows her as. Especially if you're like from Colorado or mm -hmm. you've been to Colorado or you have friends you've in Colorado. You've seen the Molly Brown Yeah, house. you've seen, yeah, you know about the unsinkable mm -hmm. Molly Brown. Like that's how she's known. Yep. But she actually went by Maggie. Yep. But yep. I'm a Colorado. So Molly. the name Molly actually came from um, the Denver Post and, uh, okay. and uh, a couple of different authors. Okay. They wrote her as that name. It was like a really big like Hollywood like. They tried to glamorize her in a yeah, lot of ways. I mean, she was a fancy lady. So maybe she needed a fancy lady name. Like the finer things in life. Because you know what? When you start with nothing and then you end up with something, you never let it go. I want silk. Silk everything. Is that velvet? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So she was born from two Irish immigrant parents, mm -hmm. which that... That alone probably is why she continued to do a lot of really great things throughout her life. Later in life, yeah. Um, she, <laughs> she attended school until she was about 13 years old, and then her family needed money, so they sent her to the tobacco factory. <laughs> Just shipped her off at 13. Just to, you know, make ends meet for the family. And you got to. And it, that's important because education at that time, especially for women. I was going to say, especially for little girls, it was like... You learned how to cook. You learned how to clean. They were realistically, pro if they even went to school at all. If, yeah. Yeah. Back, this is what, what year? 18? Long time ago. Yeah. We looked it up and we forgot. Let's yeah. say 1860 something. <laughs> um, this is like the mid 1800s. Mm -hmm. This is before Colorado's a state. Yep. Right? So, yeah. Ain't no little girls going to school and like doing times tables and, and learning their names. No. It's like, you got to learn how to wash these clothes in the river. <laughs> wash clothes on the, you have to learn how to make clothes you, have you gotta to make, to make soap. the food you have to, you, you have chores young after, lady after you slaughter this pig you have to use the fat to make the soap like this is old timey literally it's a good time uh, <laughs> so when she was 13 that's when she started working for the tobacco factory at the age of 19 she actually made the move to colorado to live with her brother mm -hmm. in leadville colorado leadville. leadville which now that i think about it I don't, I don't know where that is on a map. 
I don't either. Actually, I we're good. I've Colorado's. heard of I've heard of Leadville. Everyone's heard of Leadville, but like it's so funny. Don't that ask we, me where it is. Don't ask me where it is. I hear lead. That's what Google Maps is for. Okay. Touché, first of all, well, I hear lead, and I'm like, not for me. No, I don't need lead poisoning. No, it's like a Leadville. A it's village. Like a, a village of, of lead. No, no, I won't be going there. That's generational. Thank that's, you so much. That's just people of color mindness. <laughs> like it's just safety first. Yeah. Lead? No. Yeah, in my bloodstream. That's why. No, no, no. There's none of us in like horror movies. We're not in Leadville. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so while in Leadville, she worked at a dry goods store where she would sew carpets and drapes. Bad bet. Yeah. yeah, it's a good job for Super 19. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. In absolutely. Eighteen seventy. She obviously lived with her brother, so right. housing was taken care of. True. Um, this is where she meets a man who is a mining engineer <laughs> by the name of. James Joseph Brown or J.J. Brown. Which... See, I never learned. His, I learned James and I was like, James Brown. She married James Brown. And that made me chuckle. <laughs> so everything that I read, it always, it, I, it wasn't until you and I talked and all your notes said J.J. Brown. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think in one, it said J.J. Brown. Um, but everything else that I read, it always said James Joseph Brown. And I was really? like, why are we like spelling out his entire There's a reason he Christian went by name. J.J. Yeah. That's like a long name. <laughs> this is, a, this is. Government name. <laughs> it's, it's Christian name. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so they met in while she was living in Leadville. He was a mining engineer in Leadville, mm-hmm. and Leadville was close to all the mines in Colorado yep. back in that day, which I guess most a majority of them were silver mines at yep. that point. And he was 31, she was 19. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. It sounds accurate for today's day and age as well. Right? Um, but yeah, so that brings us up to what, 1890-something? Um, 1891 is when they got married. They got married in 1891. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So that was when. Well, hu- so so yeah, 1891 they yeah. get married. 1892, 1891, 1892-ish. At this point, JJ is no longer just an engineer for mm-hmm. the mine. He's actually kind of like what we would call like middle management. Okay. So he is the manager of multiple mines that's run by a company called the Still IBEX has Mining a good Company. Job. Yeah, no, no, no. Getting paid. And that's the other thing. Like, in the little bit I found about JJ, Molly didn't say anything. Parti- I call her Molly. She didn't say anything particularly good about him. She wasn't like, he's handsome and he's smart and he's loaded. She yeah. was just like, he has a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that. And I was like, yeah, girl. Tale as old as time. <laughs> like, that resonates on a personal level. So many levels. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> over here swiping on Bumble and I'm like, no job. No job. No, has a job. No teeth but has a job. So you give them a righty, you swipey the righty. So it's like, that's been happening throughout all of woman history. Absolutely. So 81, 82, 19, 18, sorry, 1881, 1891, 1892 ish. I keep forgetting this is the 1800s. He's middle management. He's working for the Ibex mining company mm-hmm. and he's managing one of these mines and it's called the little Johnny mine. Okay. Cause all the mines had names. Cause like when I picture mining, I always picture like one big ass hole. <laughs> Mm-hmm. people just in there pickaxing or something yeah, yeah, i don't know yeah. what mining is but come to find out colorado had a bunch like hundreds of mines yeah. all over the place and leadville had a bunch of small ones that were owned by these larger companies and the little johnny mine you know the silver crash was was coming up silver was starting to lose a little value we had mm. discovered gold in them thar hills people were making their way west towards california like we knew that there were better precious metals yeah so absolutely jj is just doing his middle management thing and the way that I picture it in my head is he's like walking around the mine and he's like, I don't know, can I do this forever? And he like kicks a rock and then something shiny and gold pops up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. JJ ends up discovering gold in one yeah. of these smaller mines. And 
this is back in the days where you could come in as the paper boy and like make your way to the CEO or like build wealth. Absolutely. And so the way that the company paid him back was they were like, yo, shout out to JJ for finding this gold. Like way to go, bro. Yeah. You know, fist pump or whatever. And they're like, have some shares of the company before we like, like, thank you so much. I will take these shares. Thank you for these shares. Like, thank you for the acknowledgement that I worked hard and I did a good job. And then I'm bringing like value to your corporation. Thank you so much. Overnight. The Browns done went from Leadville locals to literally being nares. I would say middle class to, yeah. to high class and like literally overnight. Yeah, because he's an engineer, which I imagine back in the 1800s still meant you had some kind of education. Mm-hmm. So definitely middle class, not hurting. Definitely better than what she was doing when I she mean, was raised on the farm. It was enough for Molly to marry him. He <laughs> had a job. He had a good job. <laughs> but now they're like overnight millionaires. Yeah. And now they got money. And could you imagine? I would be a nightmare if I became a millionaire <laughs> over overnight. Are yeah. you even kidding me? Like you it hit the be, Powerball. It would literally be, literally. I find out I'm a millionaire. I'm on the phone with Ralph Lauren's assistant, <laughs> flying Ralph Lauren to Colorado to like redo my house in Aurora, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, it's like why wouldn't I just go buy like a bigger house and like have him? You could buy an island somewhere. Yeah, I could. But, but you're no. like, let me redo this. I like this house. So I'm going to have Ralph okay. redo this house. This Ralph's coming to this house. Yeah. And he even pulls up and he's like, really? This house? And, and you're I'm like, like, yeah. That's your job. That's Yeah. You figure it out. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Nightmare. Complete. It would be like like 1920s American dream. It really, yeah, no. <laughs> like, and we are very different people because I already know what's going to happen when I hit the Powerball. Mm-hmm. I ain't telling nobody nothing. Nobody knows. I'm just secretly paying off debts. Like one one month, you just don't have a mortgage payment. And you're like, why? And it's like, oh, somebody came in last month and bought your house, like paid your house off for you. <laughs> and it's like, somebody, somebody came in. Somebody don't came you have to in. tell me who came right? in? No, they no. don't legally have to tell you who gave you money. <laughs> it's a secret. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so once they found their wealth, Molly had no freaking problem <laughs> stepping into the spotlight of society. She yeah. loved the attention. Molly really andied the situation. She did. <laughs> she really did. Um, she, got, she, she went immediately bougie. She really did. Like, it was like, <laughs> I imagine them living in like a cabin in Leadville, Colorado, or Stumptown. Yeah, yeah. Stumptown, Colorado. Yeah. It's now a to ghost like, town. <laughs> they moved to Denver in 1894. Right. So, so they, they spent a couple years still up there, you know, keeping it cute. I mean, you had to make the money. Like yeah. they had to start mining the gold before yeah, 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 yeah. the shares went up. So that's probably like the two year window. They're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But once we get that first like two million, mm-hmm. we out. Absolutely. <laughs> so... In 1894, moved to Denver. Molly was like, yo, I got this really cute house on Pennsylvania Avenue. Yep. So I'm over here. Bring me the finest French everything. I want French furniture. I want French fabrics. I want French gowns. Give me everything. Silk. Yeah. I bet you had French linen, a nice, which is some of the best. A linen nice in the world. velvet fainting. A fainting couch. Like a, couch, a fainting yeah. chaise. I was going to call it a chair, but that's not That's it. That's not enough. No. It's like a chaise. It's a fainting chaise. Because yeah. we're French now. Yeah. We're, oh, we're in. Absolutely. It's 1894, Denver, Colorado. Started from Missouri, now we're French. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's 100% it. Oh, uh, I love it. Um, But yeah, so what was really cool about Molly, though, was even though she literally, or her, her and her husband literally came into wealth so quickly immediately she remained completely grounded she obviously really liked finer material things but she really really wanted to focus on bettering the community she's a good example of somebody who comes into wealth and like like 
I would say at that point, extreme. We're talking 1890s and you're mm-hmm. a millionaire already. So yeah. at this point, I think in modern day money, that's got to be billions of dollars. Yeah. So overnight billionaires. She's a really good example of somebody who never forgot where she came from mm-hmm. to still be the daughter of Irish immigrants who was working mm-hmm. at a tobacco like factory or whatever. Like Absolutely. she never forgot. She did not Kanye West the situation. No, no, she's no, she's better than that. He bowed out of the presidential campaign. I will just let everybody know. <laughs> um, don't vote for him. Don't write him in. He's a trash monster. He is. Okay. Um, sorry, you brought him up and that really angered she me. She didn't, Kanye. Um, this is, she's, she's opposite Kanye. She's a white woman. She's literally opposite Kanye. <laughs> um, so just really quick, honorable mention. Oh, no. Kathy Bates fucked the world. I uh, love Kathy Bates. So <laughs> Kathy Bates actually played um, Molly Molly Brown in the James Cameron's the Titanic, Titanic yep. um, with Jack and Rose, who didn't exist. And True. <laughs> I always remembered that scene. So and it's weird. I don't know why this always stuck with me as a kid, but there was a scene in the movie where they're all sitting in like the tea room, all the all the the fancy the, ladies, the first class passengers, yeah. which of course Molly Brown was because. Yeah billionaire yeah absolutely (laughs) and like they were all sitting there and they're sipping their tea and all of a sudden molly walks into the room Mm -hmm. and they start like talking like all this like trash about her about she's new money and Mm -hmm. she's like unrefined and she's such a trashy person and like all this other stuff and then like she comes and sits down and they all just stand up and leave and i said bitch money is money Green as like green. a child i was like uh excuse me she has that much she's sitting at your table she's got the dollars clearly. she clearly can buy her way onto the table i was bougie as a child i was like i don't understand because she honestly she has the wealth so i don't know why you're all stuck up over truly there. it's not like it's not like it's not like she's a poor person who walked right <laughs> which is a terrible which classist at that, thing at to that say. time it's like yeah like yeah. if somebody from like the lower deck all of a sudden Quite walked literally in, yeah. yeah like walked into like the tea room people would probably look at them weird. yeah that yeah that makes but it like, that is weird in it right it's i don't know why like why and she new looked money fancy because also yeah. I know we're talking about Titanic. We've jumped a decade, but we got to talk about it because at this point she's had her money for what? 15, 20, almost, almost 20 years, like 15, yeah. 18 years. Yep. She's, she's got her French silks. Mm-hmm. She's got her, her, her velvet fainting couch. Paris just like on a whim. So like <sighs> she travels, she man. loves to travel. Yeah. So let's, let's go back. Let's, let's backtrack to <laughs> um, Colorado. She's bad. She's in Denver. Yes. So she's in Denver. She's really, really big on human rights, yes. and um, she, because <laughs> you didn't know, is a feminist. Feminist, um, like mad feminist. Yeah, because at this time, women did not have the right to vote. Nope. Um, important to note that comes up later. She helped um, to establish the Colorado chapter of the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Nice. Um, and that was that came after she attended the Chicago Democratic Convention. Um, it just says in the 1890s. So. Which I guess in her life was like a really big transformation moment for her. Like that was kind of like her like, aha, I think moment where she was like, she really started getting into politics or she started really developing that interest in politics. And that's probably because she had the money to be a part of politics. Like, yes, even as at that point, she was just a woman of money to go to the Democratic convention. So she when 
you have to think about, I mean, politics have never changed, right? Even in the mm-hmm. 1890s, we're talking about the Browns just freshly became overnight millionaires mm-hmm. in 1890 money. And senators and and people who are running for politics are still going to have to have fundraisers with them. Like mm-hmm. people are still raising money for their. For, so she's being oh, invited to all the fancy. They dinners. became like a key part in society exactly. because they have money. Yeah. And she loved it. And she and and she. <laughs> but you have somebody who now has money, but again, never forgot where she came from. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a nice, interesting mix that I never never knew about her. Absolutely. So in in Denver, she would hold a lot of rallies at the Capitol. Yep. And she loved fundraising. She'd always be fundraising for different, um, like organizations. Uh, yeah, or, just... yeah, organizations. I guess is the right word. Bettering the community. Yeah. She always she um, built parks. Yes, she built parks, and she was really big on helping um, what we would now call like. I think Denver calls them our travelers, mm-hmm. but the old term was transients who moved into the Denver area. Yeah. She was really big on helping them. And again, I think it just comes from the fact that she was born absolutely into poverty. She saw people in need and she wanted to help. Because she used to be a person she in the, need. She had the means to help. Exactly. And that's always really important. And I love seeing that when rich people help because they should. It's like, what else are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> You're literally sitting on all of this like, money. I... I always say that there's only three things that I hate and it's like <laughs> it's like Trump running and Hitler. Mm-hmm. But Jeff Jeff Bezos is making his way up there because it's like what what are you doing? What, what do you do what to do help? What do you do successfully? What do you do successfully? He's a trillionaire and he does nothing. That's a whole sidebar. Yeah. We could talk. We could do a whole thing on him. But anyway, back <laughs> so to Molly. In um the high society in Colorado, I thought this was just this was like a really weird quote that okay. I read um from the Molly Brown Library. Um, she was known to show the iron hand beneath the glove of a glistening silk. <sighs> and I think that's okay. So at this time, literally women were just there to be, they were there to keep the house and they yeah. were there to, they had to be beautiful you, and presentable at all times. You, 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 you birth them chillins mm-hmm. and then you raise them. So it's and like, you stay out of the way, <laughs> even though like, yes, she was, she was dressed in fine silk. Yes. She still had an iron fist or yes. she still was making progress or wanting to make fighting to make progress. She was somewhat of a bad bitch, honestly. And this is like 1890s Denver, Colorado. Yeah. We've been a state for maybe 20 years at this point. Mm -hmm. Like that's crazy. Um, and then two major, um, buildings in Colorado. Oh, right. Places in Colorado that she actually fundraised and helped build was the cathedral of Immaculate Conception. Right. Which still stands today. And St. Joseph's hospital, which is, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know. I so I I think I had heard about the the cathedral, but I didn't know St. Joe's. I don't think I heard Saint, about it either. I was born at St. Joe's. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I feel like somebody else was too. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people were, but I feel like I know somebody else who yeah. was born there. So um, I was born in the hospital that Molly Brown built. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> oh, that is fun. I just put two and two together. You did. <laughs> we're all learning today. Um, that's amazing. So flash forward a couple years. Flash forward a couple years. So when we st- when we picked the topic for Molly Brown, I was like, oh, man, I don't care about the goddamn Titanic. I'm more interested in Amistad. And <laughs> and I was like, what am I going to when am I going to find out interesting about Molly Brown? Well, apparently she was extremely political um, in a way that I did not expect to ever. It, it's actually a wild ride coming from a woman in the 18 in the 1800s. 
the amount of politics this woman is involved in is out of this world. It's out of this world. And it makes sense because she was such a good fundraiser. Like if you're mm-hmm. good at raising money, she's good at working a crowd. It's a really easy sidestep. That's into, a, that sounded like, no, she's good at working a crowd. Uh-huh. She's good at working a crowd. And honestly, you have to think about it. A lot of these crowds are mostly men. So it was probably very easy. It's like probably. you, you fold the glove just past your wrist and you're mm-hmm. like, mm, and they're like, Oh, that'll be $200. Oh, the best thing that you can do is <laughs> you, you like, you like graze their arm. Like when you approach them, you like graze your arm. Hey babe. Hey very honey, how are men. you? Yeah, men are dumb. Yeah. That's what we're saying. So it's <laughs> <laughs> essentially that whole entire conversation. So in 1893, right around the time that JJ discovered gold in that mine and they were about to make their billions. Yep. That was the great, I always say the great, but that was actually the big silver crash that hit Colorado. So mm-hmm. a lot of these mines shut down and a lot of those mines in the remote areas of Colorado, those people who used to work in those mines, mm-hmm. their families had to get had to move. They didn't have any jobs. They were unemployed. They weren't employed. They had no livelihood. And the first thing people do is you move to where the people are. If there's mm-hmm. people, there's going to be work, whether it means cleaning a house or taking care of you, maybe you nanny, mm-hmm. there's, there's work to be found. So a lot of those miners and their families ended up leaving the mining towns and moving to the Denver area. This is right around the time that the Browns moved to the Denver area and buy their home. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just a, it's a clash. Like you have to picture your your Molly, you're essentially an overnight billionaire. You've got fine silks. You've got your fainting couch. You've been this beautiful Victorian home mm-hmm. in in Denver, Colorado, like Denver yeah. proper. And then just down the street and just outside the perimeter of what downtown Denver is now slums. Like Slumville, USA, like people don't have money. They're sleeping in their wagons, I assume, at the time and like eating their horses or whatever. It was not a good time. And so, again, tying into Molly's philanthropy, she Mm -hmm. was like, we have to do something for these people. Yeah. She ended up doing a lot of public work. These were our workers. These are our work. These are the people who are in the mines that we're making billions off of. We have to get them back to work. So Mm -hmm. she ends up. One of the things I discovered was she ended up installing public restrooms in the courthouse for people to use. And I think it was mainly from the standpoint for her. It's like. Just because you're homeless or you're struggling doesn't mean you don't have access to like a bath, right? Yeah. Because in those days they called it public baths. So you can still go get clean. And yep. she also started um, a lot of public parks initiatives in the Denver area. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any specific parks. I couldn't find any information on that. But she ended up working with a lot of local Denver progressive groups that, I mean, we're talking about politically progressive. Yep. These are groups that are like, there has to be labor rights. You shouldn't have children working in the mines. Women need mm-hmm. equal rights to everything as well. Like she was very, very progressive. Mm-hmm. Flash. <laughs> Flash forward to 1901. What happened in 1901? Molly Brown runs for Senate. Wild. Wild. Because it's super wild. Women did not gain the right to vote until 1920. 1920. So this is 19 years before women women's before the 19th amendment passes. Mm-hmm. She's running for Senate. And it's because she had done so much work with fundraising. She's around all of these powerful political people. And because I personally, I believe because she didn't come from anything, that's what made her very progressive. I remember when I was researching, I was really worried that Molly was going to be a Democrat. I was really worried she was going to be a Southern Democrat who was like slavery for everyone. But she wasn't. She was actually essentially and later we'll find this out. She was essentially like a a little she's like one step away from bernie bernie sanders yeah she's mad progressive yeah. for the 1900s but of course she ends up running in 1901 she ain't getting nowhere she ain't no. ain't no i mean colorado's progressive but they're not that progressive not yeah. yet yeah absolutely <laughs> um that's it's just crazy to me that that she did that she ran for senate like talk about Talk about having like a lot of nerve because at that time she was looked down upon as just for nerve being a woman. She's a wealthy, she's an extremely wealthy white woman in Denver, Mm -hmm. but 
she still didn't have any rights or access yep. to anything. Everything she had was her husband's. Exactly. Her wealth was her husband's. Everything was her husband. Yeah. Um, and so she's doing all of, she's doing what ladies are supposed to do. They're supposed mm-hmm. to fundraise for poor kids and they're yeah. supposed to, I don't know, make well, flags. She was part of Colorado's high society. <laughs> yes. Um, which is just a bunch of rich white women who get together and like eat cucumber sandwiches. I don't know. That doesn't sound good at all. Cucumber sandwiches are not good. I, I digress. <laughs> so, fun fact. Okay. J.J. Brown. J.J. Was sexist as fuck. Sexist. And she, I want to. I want to be on a fly on. A, I want to be a fly on the wall at that dinner conversation when she's mm. like, "I'm running for Senate." I want to know. I feel the like words that was the that conversation. <laughs> the more I learn about Molly Brown, the more I'm like, "That's the conversation." She's like, "Oh, and by the way." I'm running for Senate, so you will be funding this. Like, I, I feel like he was super sexist, but everything that she, she was did, in control. there was no way she was not wearing the pants in that house. You know what I'm saying? Like, the way that Kathy Bates <laughs> portrayed her on Titanic. Cancer's gonna do what cancer's gonna do. She's a bad bitch. She's a, we found out she was a cancer. She was born on July 18th. July 18th. I believe that's a cancer, right? I think yeah, so. Yeah, it's still cancer season. We're switching over into, is it Leo's that are coming up? Gross. Gross. I love cancer season. Um, <laughs> so, obviously because he's sexist as fuck. And a bit of a um, dick. It, it led to a lot of marital problems. Obviously. And they ended up being legally separated. Do you have the year on that? 1909. So Separated in 1909. Eight years after she ran for Senate, yep. they get legally separated. And she is awarded a stipend from her husband of $700 a month. A month. So I was like, oh, okay, cute. $700 a month. And I'm thinking like in, t- in 2020. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading. I'm like, $700 a month. Okay, that's like a good... I, I I don't know anything about this, but it sounds like a good child support payment. Like in mm-hmm. modern times, like if you actually are yeah. divorced, you're getting something from the husband, right? Yeah. But they're legally separated. He's wealthy, so he's cutting her smooth 700 And I was like, okay, that's nothing. Convert that to on this day, $2020. <laughs> Homegirl was taking home $19,830 a month. <laughs> I said, God damn. 20 G. Get your slice. Get your slice. She's of not money. divorced. No. They're separated. Just so and she's pocketing 20. She should have divorced him. She should have. I couldn't even. I mean, she probably would have just got half once, mm, though. True. A good separation. That's a persistent $20,000 payment for That's the rest true. of her. She, she was in it for the long game. <laughs> she get, Women are smart. Yeah. We know he's Absolutely. not going to die for a while. I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going to take half now, yeah. but I will consistently take well, 20 G's a month. If when he died, I wonder if she got all of everything. They were still legally married, so I imagine. That's crazy. <sighs> crazy. That's but crazy. I found that really interesting because part of the reason, everybody hears about her being on the goddamn Titanic. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so she's a first class. And I, was, and I remember being younger and remember hearing that this person from Denver was mm-hmm. on the Titanic. And in my head, I was like, but why? Literally. So for why? So I, same. We're on the same page. I was like, well, for starters, the Titanic was like in Europe. Right. So, so why? Why? And what also this was there? like 700 years ago. In your mind as a kid, it was, it was so far. It the was past. the times of Jesus as far as I'm concerned. Well, and it's like, they, they have you believe that like slavery ended like centuries ago. Right. And it's like, mm, no, it was no. the 1800s. It was right before statehood. Like, let's calm down. <laughs> things are new <laughs> right we're still learning things are still fresh today in 2020 yeah. we're still learning um black lives matter <laughs> absolutely uh, <laughs> just tuck that in there Boop. um so she's getting her 700 dollars a month she and we already know she loves traveling she loves tra- she's she loves she's she's got her sub she's got her i'm gonna say twenty thousand dollars absolutely 
she's pocketing 20 G's a month. And if you think about it, it's like 1909. Mm -hmm. She's freshly separated. She's getting 20 G's a month. Yeah. Her kids are pretty much, I think her kids are grown at this point. Yeah. She's already got her Victorian home. She's got her silks. She's got her dresses. She's got her fancy hats. Yeah. What else are you going to do? We're going to travel to Europe. We're going to travel the world. Yeah. At this point, by the time she was in Paris um, to board the Titanic Mm -hmm. to head back to the United States, she had already been to Ireland, France, Russia, India, Japan. Mm -hmm. The particular trip that she was on that was interrupted when she was on the Titanic, she was on her, she had already been to Egypt and Rome and she, she goes to Paris all the time. So Paris was like her second. I feel like Paris was like, I feel like all of her trips abroad right. ended in Paris. I, she, like, I think she just loved she just loved Paris. And now that I think about it, everybody I feel like I have to go to Paris soon because every successful person throughout American history mm-hmm. on uh, of any race, they've always ended up in Paris. Mm-hmm. Fucking Beyonce loves Paris. They have a home in Paris. Mm-hmm. All of the greatest I'll join you for that. Right? I, I want to go to Paris because yeah. all of the great jazz singers of the nineteen twenties mm-hmm. and thirties and stuff, these black jazz singers, yeah. they li- they pretty much lived in Paris because Black people in France were treated better than mm-hmm. black people were in America. Like, there were, you know, we're talking like Ella Fitzgerald and shit. They couldn't sing at bars in America. Fucking owned the stage like in Paris. Like, superstars Superstars. So, a lot of black uh, entertainers who didn't have a, who just couldn't do shit in the United mm-hmm. States, they all ended up in Paris at some point. So, I'm like, we gotta. That's fun. We gotta go. But so did Molly Brown. Yeah. So, yeah. Molly, Molly loved it. So, while she was on her vacation, um, rounding it off in Paris, she received word that her grandchild was ill. So she was in Paris with her daughter, Helen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm assuming that it wasn't Helen's child. <laughs> One <laughs> because likes to hope. Helen sta- remained in Paris. Oh, snap. I hope it wasn't. <laughs> and, Could you imagine? And Molly needed to get back. So Grandma she, had to get back. Grandma had to get back. Yeah. So she bought her first class ticket on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, in the early morning of April 15th, 1912... The Titanic struck an iceberg. Ship goes down. There was enough room for Jack on that door. <laughs> Rose is a hoe. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> These fake characters are real assholes. They are. The one... So then another interesting thing that ties into... And this really does tie into Molly's progressive-ism, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because she had traveled the world so much leading up to the Titanic, when the ship was going down, she was actually able to help some people, some of the um, the poorer and immigrant people that were in the mm-hmm. lower areas of the boat. She actually spoke some of their languages. She was yeah. able to speak a little bit of French and, and help with the Russian or whatever Once to get people again, onto the boats. This woman is phenomenal. Like and she, Nobody tells you this. No. <laughs> like, she... Literally, so at this time, if right. you were on first class, you didn't talk to anybody. That no, was, you never even saw anybody no. who was in like the lower quote unquote no, classes. Yeah, not at all. So just the fact that she was just like on deck Help- at the Titanic, helping in any way. Yeah, helping, just helping, just helping. But she's able to help more than a lot of the other first class because people. She, she speaks multiple she's languages. Educated. She. It, which is wild. She stopped at 13, and yet here we are in 1912. Yeah. And, uh, and again, it ties into her progressive, I'll mm-hmm. say, politics. She's she's not scared of poor people. No. Because she I'm was. Because <laughs> she was, and she she literally has spent her entire life helping them. She's so philanthropic, it's out of control. So I, I want to note this about the Titanic, because um, I found this just, like, just really fascinating. Yeah. So there was over 2,000 passengers aboard. Mm. 
and only 700 survived. And we all knew that. We all right. knew that, like... It was a great tragedy. Yeah. Like, lots of people died. Like, thousands of people died. But, like, when you when you see, like, the number of, like, 700 people survived out of 2,000? Yeah. That's wild That's a me. lot. That's 1,300 bodies lost in the Atlantic. Like, yeah. it's, it's pretty big. I don't think I knew it was that many people that had passed, honestly. Yeah. And I got that from the Molly Brown... Um, library. I didn't fact check it further than that, so I. I mean, honestly, what you're hearing, this is what I saw. Did I do like a deep dive? Like, no. Am I reading textbooks? Did I no. go to the Library of Congress? Absolutely not. I wish. I wish I could go places. Right. <laughs> I um, going places. So, <laughs> one thing that's that was fun was that she was a so she was on lifeboat number six. six. And she man, that was actually really interesting. So one of the things that I found, it was a quote again. I believe this is from the Molly Brown because her, her people who don't know people from not from Colorado, her home, her giant mm-hmm. Victorian home in Denver is her museum now. So it's actually it's funny when you see it because yeah, it's um it's actually just like a very it's a home modest looking home for like twenty twenty days. Oh, for sure. But like in back eight, then, eighteen ninety six or whatever, it was a mansion. It was a Victorian mansion, mm-hmm. and then you have to picture just these fine fil- silk, like f- French curtains and rugs Stained and glass and oh, fancy. It, I mean, it's pretty. It's just an older. It just looks like to me. It looks like the stereotypical older. In, in 2020, home. it looks like a broke down old house. Um, so stuff. she was on uh, lifeboat number six. Where she had some confrontation. She had some issues. So I was obviously researching Molly Brown and it was like, oh, she's on lifeboat number six. And I was like, okay, well, I, I guess it's good to know what number it's on. That's mm-hmm. just a fun fact. But then there was a quote um, about Molly and a lot of the other women and children who were on the boat. Mm-hmm. And it goes, uh, quote, she and other women in the lifeboat worked together to row keep spirits up and dispel the gloom being broadcast by an, by the emotional Robert Hikins, which I, I'm going to say Hikins. It's H I C H E N S. So it could okay. be like Hickens or something. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. White people names. That sounds right. Hickens. Hickens. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I was like, well, why was Robert Hickens broadcasting emotional doom and gloom? Like why, mm-hmm. what was he doing? So then I did a deep, a little, a dip to toe. Into mm-hmm. Robert Hickens. Mm-hmm. So he was a Navy man. He was a sailor. He was not the captain of the Titanic, but okay. he was one of the the higher ups. He was he was yeah. somebody that was trusted occasionally to man the man the what do they call it? Man the boat? The helm. Man the helm. I don't think that's the right word. I'm but... gonna use pirate speak. He manned the helm <laughs> sometimes while they were traveling across <laughs> the Atlantic, right? Because yeah. obviously it's not one person driving for like the 17 years it took Absolutely to get across. Not. So it took decades. Like what are you doing? I feel like it took 74 years. So I was like, well, what's so bad about Robert? Well, come to find out, Robert over here was actually the sailor who was steering the boat when it hit the iceberg. Mm. So he wasn't feeling very good about that. So after, you know, kind of helping people onto the lifeboats, he ends up being the lead on lifeboat number six. So I guess all the life lifeboats had some kind of sailor huh. or somebody representing the boat. So, right? He's supposed to be like to tell me this man is supposed to be the lead, but the lead. it's the women that are taking care of the lifeboat. The women who are quote rowing the boat and keeping spirits up interesting and trying to not deal with his doom and gloom but we really don't the... hate men as much as we sound like we do sometimes man i'd be thinking i'd be like do we need him it's, <laughs> it's like... just fun to it's just fun to poke 
poke at the stereotype. Poke, poke the patriarchy. <laughs> so, um, so it ended up being that I guess there were a lot of issues on lifeboat number six because there are claims from some of the people on the boat that he was drunk. Molly never said that he was drunk, but there were claims that he was drunk. And there was a lot of issues because I guess a lot of women, and including Molly in this one, mm-hmm. wanted him to turn around to help people out of the water. Yeah. We're talking about the frigid um, fucking Atlantic ocean like it's yeah. cold and cold as fuck cold as fuck we hit an iceberg there's you're, no sun because you're it's in ice night. water yeah it's nighttime it's ice water it's like early early morning it's fucking freezing and so some of the women on lifeboat number six wanted to turn around and try to get people out of the water mm-hmm. good old robert hickens or whatever just said no and he no. kept rowing until they got to safety so he ended up um he did end up continuing to serve in mm-hmm. the navy he ended up serving in both world wars and he had a heart attack and died um later in life Crazy. But I was like, wow, this person who sunk the Titanic is linked to the unsinkable. Molly Brown. <laughs> Molly Brown. <laughs> so crazy. So uh, we all know they all get rescued. Um, the boat that they were on was the Carpathia. Yeah. And what was another interesting thing, so even like amidst this tragedy, mm-hmm. she is so hellbent on helping people. They get rescued, and she's immediately serving meals and handing out yeah. water and blankets to the, to the survivors and making sure everybody's okay. Like... I always like to picture it exactly like what it would mm-hmm. be like in that moment. And I think I have a really good imagination because I imagine her and she's in this like heavy ass Victorian dress. Yeah. And one minute she's yelling at people in Russian to get on lifeboats and she's helping Japanese mm-hmm. people get on lifeboats and she's using all these languages and then she's cussing out Robert because he won't turn around and help more people. Then they get to the Carpathia and then she gets off and she's still in this fucking wet, heavy fucking goddamn yeah, Victorian yeah, yeah, yeah. dress. And now she's feeding people and helping. Oh, and you know she was corseted. And like your lungs are in your titties? Like no, like in your neck? No. You're doing too much. Take the corset off first of all. Let the fat rolls yeah, like, fly. Why are we God, throughout history, we really torture women so much. The bra was invented by a man, mm. and you can tell. And you can tell. <laughs> uh, um. So another, I, I don't know the timeline between when they got rescued and when they arrived in New York. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the exact timeline, but from <laughs> being rescued to getting to New York, she had established the survivors committee and had already raised almost $10,000 for those who had lost everything in the tragedy. Like, damn the girls, which like $10,000 in that time is a lot of frigging money. We're talking about. So $700 is about $20,000. So like, what's the math? That's math that I can't do. So like a lot, it's a lot of money. I think, Somebody listening is going to figure this out, but I feel like I crunched the numbers earlier. It was like a quarter People of a million gonna, or something. really dumb. Math's not my strong suit. No, fuck. I, I build computers to do the math. I don't... I write words <laughs> and speak words. You're I don't welcome. speak them good, none, but I speak good, them good. <laughs> I'd say um, stuff. So after the, after the Titanic sank and everything, she really kind of launched into fame, essentially, because she was known as the heroine of the Titanic. Yeah. She was just this very wealthy first class Mm -hmm. white woman, Titanic survivor who fundraised on the way to New York. I mean, she, she in, in random moments throughout history, we'll find that she always gets thrust into the spotlight in random Mm -hmm. ways. But this is really one of the first ones where she's making nationwide spotlight. Like she lands in New York at this point, you've already got the New York Times, you've already got the Chicago Tribune, you've always got, you've already got these large newspaper organizations that are in New York waiting for this boat to arrive. Yeah. So, of course, she's going to be listed. They're going to know things about Margaret Brown, mm-hmm. and I mean, she just she she rises to fame in a weird way. Yep. So she rose to fame, and with that, she still didn't lose anything. She she still continued to try and. Yeah. 
and make improvements into like just society. She like wanted everyday to, life for yeah. people. Yeah. Like all people. Crazy. It would yeah. be so awesome if like celebrities did that genuinely was, in 2020. I was thinking about that. And weirdly enough, the closest person I can think of who could possibly in modern times relate to this is just this one moment of Kim Kardashian deciding that she's going to go to law school to help like with the just the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of close. It's yeah. like somebody who's got a lot of money but does is saying that they're doing something to yeah. help the less fortunate. Now, is Kim actually doing it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if she's Elle Woods. I don't know if that's the life that Kim's living. But Molly <laughs> actually did it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And then after this, didn't she, she also had another run for office, didn't she? Yeah. Senate? So everything I'm about to say... <laughs> took place in four months yeah between april and essentially august of 1914 yeah and two years after the track two years after titanic we've got molly she's out here raising money she's well known at this point um come to find out the term unsinkable molly brown didn't exist until after she died yeah so i'm pretty sure at this point she's just being referenced it was that glamorization of her character by hollywood that the unsinkable Molly Brown and sounds it stuck. like it was the name of a play. I think it was actually, oh, okay. and then it just stuck. It just stuck. So, um, in April of 1914, Molly's already back in Colorado. She's still doing a lot of like philanthropic work. She's still working with women's groups. She's mm-hmm. she's getting involved in politics, but you know she's just a wealthy woman who's really good fundraiser. We've learned at this point she's a really yeah. good fundraiser. So April of 1914, there is a. Miners strike at a mine in Colorado called the Fuel and Iron Company. And this mine is essentially under the umbrella of the Rockefeller family. So you've got the Rockefellers at this point, the early 1900s. I mean, just money on money on money. They own Mm -hmm. everything, right, at this point. And so the miners in Colorado are on strike. The women, the women of the, I'm sorry, the women, (laughs) the wives of the miners have heard about Molly and all the good works. That's the women of the miners. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the wives of the miners at this point I heard about Molly. She's well known in Colorado, obviously. Yeah. She's a local, kind of like she's a Denver hometown hero. Everybody in Colorado knows her. Yep. So the wives of the miners that are currently on strike write letters to Molly in April. Help us, Molly. Help us. Like our husbands are dying. They're being worked to death. This is before a lot of regular labor laws You're that we know. Danger girl. Right. Molly, Molly, you in danger girl. <laughs> You, you are terrible. <laughs> no, sorry. It would be Molly. We in danger, we in danger girl. girl. <laughs> Molly, we in danger girl. So the wives were like, Molly, sis, help us out. Because like our husbands are going on strike. So we ain't got no money. One also extreme working hours. Like they're dying in these and, and the Rockefellers have money. They can help us out. And Molly was like, bet, <laughs> bet. I got you. So Molly's I got, this I got shit. this. And, and obviously she's a, she's a wild feminist. So getting these letters from the, the letters mm-hmm. from the wives, she's like, okay, this is affecting the entire family. Like yeah. if you're not working, you're going on strike. You're not bringing money in. These kids aren't eating. Yeah. I already know that the way that she's thinking about this is how does it affect the whole? And she's mm-hmm. very sensitive about kids. So fast forward to 420, 1914. Uh, not a J in sight. <laughs> not a, nobody's, nobody's lighting up. At the public park in Denver. In Boulder. Yeah, nobody's smoking weed with the police like we do nowadays. In April 20th, 1914, there actually ends up being, I believe it's called like the, I don't know if they use the term massacre, but it was essentially the strikers end up going to the Iron and Fuel Company and they have a confrontation with the security guards there. And they're like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Essentially, you just see a bunch of dirty miners walk up and they're like, fuck you. I deserve better 
I don't know, like wages. pee breaks, something, right? Like, you know, it's something stupid. Higher wages, pee breaks, and maybe I don't work 23 hours a day. Maybe I don't do that. Maybe. Maybe you let me take a nap. That'd be cool. And the security guards are like, fuck you. The Rockefeller said, no, come back to work or whatever. So it ends up being a, a little mini massacre. This is uh, essentially what happens is 20 mm-hmm. people end up dying. Uh, including women including and children. Including women and children, which means that the the strikers who went there, the the husbands, the minors, had to bring their families with them. Right, mm-hmm. so women and kids end up getting killed. It's this whole big to do. Well, and I I almost feel like that that act is like you know you bring you bring your family with you because you you want to keep it like it's you have the intention of it being peaceful. Right. Well, and I feel like if I see a bunch of little kids in the streets, I'm not going to get violent. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, we'll keep it cute. Let's use our words. Yeah, but no, not, not in 1940. Not the, not the Rockefeller companies, right? So it ends up going down as one of the worst labor conflicts in American history, mm-hmm. and obviously because of this. 20 people dying, this makes national news. You've got the New York Times writing about it. You've got got Chicago, all these major newspapers that hear about it. But this is actually well known to Molly. She already been known this. She's been getting the letters. So she... So she rides in on her white stallion. I'm assuming it's a white horse named like Pickles or something. And she like rides up to where the miners are. And the way that I picture it in my head is very like... Lady Godiva-esque. Esque, right? But it's like you've got the rich, like bougie... like she has clothes on. Obviously. Yeah. But you've got like the Monopoly Man, a.k.a. the Rockefellers on one side and you've got murdered people in the middle mm-hmm. and then you've got the families on the other and Molly step, she steps in and she's like look mm-hmm. like I understand what the laborers are going for, through They just, she essentially goes to the Rockefellers and she's like if you want your minds to be successful you have to keep your people alive so mm-hmm. let's change the way that we do our labor things let's do give better. them what they want and then they go back to work and then you make more money mm-hmm. she goes to the poor people and Sound she's like logic. right and she's like she goes to the poor people and she's like I got you these things let's all write this down let's bring it together so she ends up actually being like a bit of a mediator Mm-hmm. During this two. this labor Dispute. strike, yeah. yeah, and I never heard about that. She'll, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> just, I like the idea of her just going in there, like, listen here, other rich white person, right? I too am a rich white person. I get it. And we're trying like, to make more money, and we're all making money off of mining because yeah. that's where her wealth came from. Yeah. That's where her twenty thousand dollar checks are coming from every month. Yeah. It's from the mines. Absolutely. So she's like, let's keep that going. Yeah. But she ends up being a mediator and helps to resolve the issue. Yeah. Um, so, of course, people are writing about it. She ends up getting thrust in the national spotlight again. And she ends up becoming involved in more and more progressive politics. She's moving more and more lefty, as I like to say. Yep. And she ends up joining the National Women's Trade Union League. This is all, and I, like I said, this is all taking place in four months in 1914. <laughs> we are now in, like, May Fine. of 1914. <laughs> so she's joined the National Women's Trade Union League which helped push for the 19th Amendment, which is the women's right to vote. And that was being headed up by Alice Paul. Alice Paul is essentially the grandmother of the 19th Amendment and the ERA. So she's she's in it now with like the feminist, the white feminist of the the time. She's in the thick of it. They end up having a conference, which they called the Conference of Great Women, which let's say this is now late May 1940. (laughs) That should still be a thing. They actually did have another one in the 1970s, and it was an abjunct failure because when the conservatives showed up, they ended up bringing a lot of Klansmen. It's a good time how throughout history, the conservatives are always closely linked to white supremacy. But I digress. Like (laughs) Michelle Obama. Right. It's we do. We do need to have a great conference where all women of all backgrounds and understandings come together because countries, the ERA still has not been passed in the America. It it is not an amendment. The ERA failed in 2017. Yeah. So we got a long way to go. Absolutely. (laughs) So late May, she ends up giving a speech at the conference of great women. It ends up being a really um, impactful speech because what she ends up saying, like, 
the direct quote is rights for all. She rallied yeah. for rights for all. Which is huge. That's unknown. This is 1914. And the way that she worded it, the way that she described quote unquote rights for all is that it would counter the greed of big businesses. This Preach is on it. Mini Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy is that this is coming <laughs> this is coming in 1914 from this white woman from Colorado. Denver. This is a, she's giving a speech. This is Denver. This state is new. Yeah. <laughs> and like she already knows that like big business is going to become a problem She can for already society. see it. And she is big business, right? Yeah. She's got the billions. And she knows that like People like people who aren't like me, who are down to earth and and grounded, right? Who understand? They are going to really fuck shit up. It's like she could see twenty sixteen or something. Twenty? No, nobody saw twenty twenty coming. No, <laughs> I mean she might have. She lived through nineteen eighteen. Cleo might have, but <laughs> she, rest in peace. God bless. But. She also talks about, at this conference, the Conference of Great Women, she also talks about universal suffrage, which is wild, because universal means all-encompassing for everyone. Suffrage means right to vote. She's talking about the right to vote for everybody. So, 1870, black men get the right to vote. Yes. This is 1914. We're still six years away from women getting the right to vote, and she's giving a speech about universal rights to vote. Like, the universal right to vote. vote. If you're an American citizen, you have the right to vote, and you should have a say. Mm -hmm. This is 1914, right? Yep. She gives this whole speech, yada, yada, yada. People love her. This yeah. is this is Colorado, 1914, still somewhat progressive. Absolutely. To the point where after she gives this speech and, and the local Denver Post and everybody's talking about it, she's got support from women and men in Colorado. So yeah. people are like, Molly, girl, you're good at talking. You got good ideas. You look good. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Your, your eyes are a little wonky, but you look good. <laughs> you should run for senate mm-hmm. so 1914 she decides she's going to run for senate again she ran for senate twice yeah 1901 and 1914 Fucking women crazy. still don't have the right to vote in this entire time yeah and she's talking about universal suffrage yeah to the point where in local colorado papers at this point like june 1914 local colorado papers and the new york times favored molly to win the senate race in colorado crazy that's the New York Times favored a woman to win the Senate race mm-hmm. in 1914, and she couldn't even vote for herself to be in Senate. Yep. That's wild. But then... Oh, man. You know, you just got to fast forward to... History what is it? really gets in the way of shit. June 28th, 1914, which, for those in the know, Franz Ferdinand is assassinated, and we have the kickoff, World War One. Yep. And Molly being Molly... Flies on over to France. Works with the Red Cross... Yep. Gives up her Senate race yep. and dips her toes into the cool, cool waters of helping people during World War One. Yeah. So what she ended up doing in France is she established relief stations for soldiers um, right. during the war. And what's 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 <laughs> what's crazy to me is that she actually so she was awarded the French Legion of Honor yeah. in 1932 for her work with the survivors of the Titanic. We're just gonna you know right. Just gonna list her accolades list, here. Give give the resume. <laughs> Let them know for her work with the survivors of the Titanic. Her alliance with um, how do you say that? Francais. Francais. Uh, I I took Spanish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I took the dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> and her relief and her relief work during the war. So <laughs> she's over here. This white woman from Colorado, from Denver, from Denver, Colorado, is getting recognized in a different country yeah for the amazing things that she's done for in her like life. her war efforts yeah essentially 
Which and then she gets recognition in the United States for her philanthropy mm-hmm. and general being able to care about people. Yeah. It's actually well, fuck the take the whole Titanic out. Seriously, everything else is way more interesting. Absolutely, I would love if anybody. I don't want to say book recommendation, maybe an audio book recommendation. I would love if somebody did a deep dive on her Senate runs because I love the politics of everything. That'd be fun. You can get rid of the whole Titanic. I want campaigns. I, I want, want ca- the campaign stops. I want. Are there pictures? Speeches. I right. Want transcripts. I would love I want... to see the speech from the Conference of Great Women mm-hmm. if that's available somewhere. It's just it's a she's. A fascinating lady. So then, unfortunately, in the same year that she won the French Legion of mm-hmm. Honor, um, she passed away uh, overnight, essentially, in her sleep okay. from a brain tumor in New York. Um, and we, she was like, what, 65? We crunched 65, the numbers? 65, yeah. So she was young. She did all of this before she was 65. Wild. That's so wild. Wild. And, yeah. We we were we were saying that you know the angels took her because there wasn't enough philanthropy that she could have done at, for, for World, World War II. II. They took her right at the beginning of World War II, and I feel like the universe was like, Molly girl, you need a break. You can't be Hitler's on his way. We can't have you out here trying to help because no. you will. She would have been at the gates of, like of Auschwitz any, and yeah. Ugh. She she was truly a, 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 an amazing woman, and I found out a lot of really great information about her. Hope you guys did too. Honestly, like. She's Look an into interesting her some lady. More. Yeah, she's an interesting lady. I'm fast. I didn't know anything about the Senate runs, nope. and I'm pretty sure all of this is at the museum. But it's Corona time, and I can't go anywhere. Yeah, no. So no. I did a quick Google. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna pay to go into an old house. <laughs> it's all dusty, and you know they haven't Clorox those picture frames. <laughs> yeah, because it'll melt. <laughs> but maybe after Corona, I mean, I'm I actually am interested. I kind of want to go and see if she does have that velvet. <laughs> Oh my god! Space. If there's a fainting couch, I'd be like, "Ooh, can I touch it?" Like, I bet there's can something. Can I faint on it? She's got fine French linen or something. <laughs> They'd be like, "Sir, you're over 200 pounds." No, <laughs> no, they didn't make them, ma'am. They didn't make them your size back in those days. And I'm like, they did. Just it was a gentleman. <laughs> I'm the size of a small gentleman in the early 1900s. Oh my gosh! Well, I hope you guys um, are enjoying our new format. Yeah. This is something new. We're kind of doing more research-based information yeah. for you guys. I really like it. So far, I get so to, like, good learn history and stuff. I always like history. So yeah. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook at sippin T three Oh three. You can follow me personally at MVP Andy. And you can follow me personally at my co plants. M Y C O P L A N T S. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or my Colorado <laughs> plants. There you go. There you go. That's the long, yeah. the long hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, thanks for listening, and we will catch you guys in the next week.